welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Ben Fern and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Paul Sheridan. You alright? We're thinking New Year's resolutions, aren't we, Paul? Well... When we interviewed Kathy the other day, we were sort of saying, when is the time when you stop saying Happy New Year to people? And we're well into January now, so we've, we've ditched Happy New Year, even if we haven't said that enough. But I was thinking earlier on about New Year's resolutions. Do you make New Year's resolutions, Ben? I don't. I think I used to when I was younger. I tend to... When you were younger. I love that when you said yeah. that to me. <laughs> I need to be better at it. I need to actually think, now I need to settle down and think of something. Because there are a few different resolutions I could potentially make. Like... Pepsi Max. Uh, so I've, I've had this talk with LJ, my boss in the office, right, yeah. and I just tend to... And then there are worse things to sort of Well, there drink. are worse things, yes. Um, I think I kid myself because it's got, you know, all green codes on the sort of health thing. <laughs> Obviously, it's not a nutritional drink. <laughs> this so, is not... Yes. And by the way, if Pepsi do want to get in touch and monetize some of the episodes, we're, we'll, we'll mention Pepsi as often as you want if we're going to get money. It does sound like an advert, doesn't yes. it? But, um, and now, Ben, but, and your favourite drink this year, Ben? Well... <laughs> so I think cutting down on Pepsi Max, I think, and yeah. chocolate actually, that's a good one to. Yeah. I don't think I could grow that out altogether, but I think cutting down on it, I eat a bit too much of it. Yeah, I, as you know, I've got the attention span of a gnat, so the idea of a New Year's resolution to me is quite an anathema because I'll have forgotten it twenty minutes later. But um, I am, I, as you know, I swim, and um, I'm going to try and set a target for this year of a big swim. Um, I've always wanted to go uh, to the Lake District and do a couple of the big lakes. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and set a target for that this year. So it may be that I might be pushing that later on in the podcast of, of, of monetizing that because my wife, as you know, works at Burn Grief Food Bank and um, they're always looking for extra money. So I might go for a uh, for like a Just Giving page. And now I'm putting, I'm putting it out there so that this is pushing me into doing it. But I'm going to go for a big swim later on this summer. And I'm like, I money. Yeah. I'm not yeah. editing that bit out now. So now no, it's on record. It's, it's on it's record, record that I am doing that. Yeah. yeah. The longest I've ever done is 10K as, as a big swim. So I'm, I'm going to try and do Coniston or Windermere, I think, this year. So that would be a great thing to advertise. You could come along and record on the side. Nice and warm wrapped nice up. Nice and yeah, wrapped up. Be holding my dry, dry robe for me when I get out. Yes, of course. Yeah. Right. Beautiful part of the world, Lake District as well. Very much a friend of the podcast, Carlisle Diocese. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We ought to introduce our guest, didn't we? Our esteemed guest who's back in church house, I'm delighted to say. Uh, Looking a bit pensive about the whole thing, I think. Uh, I said to Christina, just join in at the start, but she's sat there looking back and forth thinking, when do I start? My relationship with Christina is based purely around a phone in the fact that I've got her old phone. So when I started for the, working for the diocese, Christina had just left and I was handed this old iPhone. It's not a... Not an, Anybody out there, we don't spend your common fund on new iPhones. So I got a second-hand iPhone with an old number. And every so often out of the view, I'll get out of the blue, I'll get a little text which says, Hi, Chris, lovely to speak to you the other day. So glad to catch up. And I have to text back and say, really, really sorry. This is Christine's old number. And either then people get really embarrassed and don't reply, or Kinder then started a conversation, as he would. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to read your bio, Christine, and then you can carry on joining in right so christine gore is it dr christine gore 
It's canon, Dr. Christine Gore. <laughs> I should have stood up when you came in the room. Oh, like, yes. Oh, crumbs. I've yes. been much too flippant already. But I'm, on, I'm, I'm emeritus canon, so I'm not quite sure whether I still have the title or not. But yeah, I'm a, a canon doctor. Canon doctor? <laughs> <laughs> crumbs, we've had bishops in this room. I don't oh, know where we're going. Yeah. Right honourable lady, we should be referring yeah. to. Yes, is that right? No, I don't think so. I don't right on, remember make... the Southport. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Christine Gore uh, was born in the seaside resort of Southport in Lancashire and the youngest of three daughters. Along with her mum, she was involved with the local Methodist church and taking the Sunday school as a child, became a Sunday school teacher and a member of the youth club as a teenager. She left Southport to go to university in Edinburgh, where she did a biological sciences degree and then followed by a PhD, everybody, in genetics at the University of Glasgow. Shortly after completing her PhD, um, she went on to study theology and then became a student worker for UCCF. I think we'll come back to that later mm. on and see where that's taking you, uh, working across some of the Scottish universities. After three years with the UCCF, um, Christine went on to be the student worker at All Souls Langham Place, a large Anglican, very famous Anglican church with, yeah. with quite a, a history uh, of preaching and teaching. That's right, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. She then did a master's degree in biblical interpretation at London Bible College. I think she might have the most degrees and letters after a name of anybody that we've had. In this yeah, degree. the I Spy book's got lots of ticks in Has it. Has it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Christine was with the Church Army for eight years as a tutor and then latterly as assistant principal at the Wilson, what's now called the Wilson Carlisle Centre. Mm. She was appointed principal and biblical studies tutor at the former Yorkshire Ministry Course, which is now St. Hild, very much a friend of the podcast. Uh, training ordinance from around Yorkshire Diocese. She came back to Sheffield to start working for the diocese nine years ago in January 25 as Director of Formation for Ministry. 2015. What did I say? 25. Did I? Did I see? I can't even read. I'm, I'm, I'm so nervous about uh, the, 25. how many degrees. Yeah. <laughs> January 2015, she came back. Um, Christine is still a licensed lay minister in a local church and about to become a vocations advisor Ooh. in the diocese. Can't retire, you see, still got to keep going. No, well, it doesn't feel like work to me, that. It just feels like who I am, so... Well, that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. So will you be working alongside Dan to do that? Yes, I've got to have some training at the end of the month. Are they going to train you? Yes, and I think that's only right and proper. They're going oh, to give well. me some training. Um, but yes, and it was interesting because... I've spent, I haven't been working now since for a year and a half, and I've spent time wondering where God might be calling me and trying not to go, what felt like going back into my old role. But uh, this summer I was very fortunate to go to St. George's College in Jerusalem uh, with a group of ordinance from the country because I'm on the trust fund in the UK for St. George's. And just being around those folks who were ordinance there, when I came home I thought, do you know what? I hadn't got a role while I was there. I was kind of in observing because of the trust. But actually, when I came home, I found I'd had lots of conversations with people. And I thought, do you know what? This isn't about job. This is about who I am. And I'd gone there saying to the Lord, what am I doing here? You know, I'm nothing. I haven't got a role. But conversations came and people came and talked to me. And I thought, do you know what? This is so much a part of me. I mustn't let it go. I must try and take it forward in some way. So within a week of getting back, I think I'd contacted Dan and said, 
do you need anybody? And with about three hours of sending that email, I got the reply, which has to be the quickest ever response to an email. So I think he's quite keen for me to join the team, which is lovely. And will that be like in a mentoring role for, for people as they as they choose their vocation, as they go through that vocation process? Yeah, or? it's about helping people explore vocation rather than choosing. It's having conversations and because I've been involved in all sorts of ministries, not just ordained, I mean, having worked at Church Army, I know a bit about Church Army. Having trained people for lay ministries, know a bit about the breadth of ministries there are in the diocese. It's about finding the right shape for people, because I think there has been a tendency in the past in some dioceses just to point people towards ordination yeah. and think that's the only thing. And as a lay person, I obviously have that much broader view. Uh, if ordination's the right thing, then absolutely to help people to work that through when they get to a stage going forward for some form of selection. But just helping people explore what their calling might be and helping them think about the varieties that are there. Yeah, and that process has changed, particularly in Sheffield yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah. Focal ministry yeah. and oversight ministers and that whole mm. vocabulary and the way that we see ministry is... is yeah changing it's not changed totally but it's changing isn't it the yes. moment and as it, that happens yeah it was one of the reasons when i came i felt we needed a foundations course uh, people were coming to school and ministry with with a label on them already like i want to train to be a reader or i want to do this and after about a year you'd find that they'd be going well i'm wondering if it might be something different and i wanted to give people a year to just explore that and to have those sorts of conversations then to say, right, nobody's putting a label on you. This is a year to explore and do some studying. We'll support you and travel with you as you do it. You can meet lots of other people who are doing different things and opening it up. And it was wonderful to see some that went forward for ordination, some went forward for reader ministry. We've even got somebody who's training at Church Army now, which for me, because Church Army has a special place in my heart, it, it was lovely to see. And nobody's been pushed there. They've just been presented with options and they've suddenly gone, that's me. That's That that just resonates in a way I hadn't expected. And, and nobody else has seen that before. And just those little conversations that suddenly... You, you kind of throw something in and you just watch it kind of almost burst into flames and you think, oh, God's at work here. It's not me. This is definitely God. And then, it, you know, it's just such a wonderful process to be part of. You kind of sit there and think, oh, gosh, <laughs> this is <laughs> That's nice. Fantastic. That's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, I'm actually doing foundations this year. Are you? Yeah, so oh, I wish I'd still been there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could we could have me, had some fun. You could have Paul. put me in my place. <laughs> no, no, we would have had some fun. And that, that encouragement, Christine, so that, that calling of your own to help mm. other people sort of discern their calling, is that what drew you here to the diocese back in 2015? Oh, oh it's what drew me in to Christian ministry, I think. Um, going back a bit, I didn't come to faith till I went to university having been at the Methodist church and a Sunday school teacher and all of those things I didn't own my faith till I went to university so doing my first degree it was kind of a time of exploring um, but when I got to Glasgow University as a postgrad I suddenly thought mm, I need to join the Christian Union because I need to find other people of faith 
who are in a similar place. Um, and I was surprised that there weren't many postgrads there, but actually it was obviously God was at work because a bunch of postgrads appeared and we had a Bible study. But because I was a postgrad, all the undergrads thought, well, she's got it sorted, hasn't she? They hadn't realized how new in the faith I was. But I became anti-Christine. And I was, in, I was looking after a student house and was based near the library. And you find students from the Christian Union dropping in and having conversations. And I was involved in helping with the youth group, run the youth group at my church at that time. And these things kind of started and you became, I kind of fell into mes- mentoring in a way just because of my age. And I guess probably pull, pulling up on the last conversation, who I am. That you know, there's part of me that wants to really encourage people and bring them on, um, and that disi- discipling within me, that desire to disciple, I think is it's all part of that. And each diff- different job I've had has drawn on that and developed that and enabled that a bit more. I think you mentioned there about owning your faith at university. Mm. Was that a gradual process, or was there a sort of moment of realization that you oh. wanted to own that? Well. Having gone to church, as as you know, um, having been taken by mum um, as kids, I'd been around church and I always believed in God. Um, our house in Southport backed onto fields and I can remember looking over the fields and seeing the stars at night and just being aware that God existed. It, I don't think I ever questioned that, but I couldn't work out where Jesus fitted in for a long time. Um, and when I was at school, friends of mine who weren't at my church came to faith through various processes for them and they you know they talked to me about their faith um i had gone um in my sixth form to do a course on the isle of man through a i discovered later it was a a seashore ecology course and i was doing biology and i was drawn by the fact it was a seashore ecology course i kind of didn't realize it was being run by christians but got there and met people from all over the place I met somebody called Steve and Steve um, and I became friends um, and uh, he was from Wales and I was in Southport so we didn't see each other but we wrote letters and in his letters he talked about his faith and I would share them with my best friend um, and it, they were they were bonkers letters they could turn up on anything from the inside of a paper bag to toilet paper or something and it was just one of those events when a letter arrived and we'd write sim- I'd write similarly bonkers ones back but in that he talked about his faith and my very good friend there it made an impact on her and I'm sitting there thinking, hang on a minute, she seems to be coming to faith here. And I'm I'm the one who's supposed to be knowing all these people. But my friend Jackie came, came to faith um, and then she went to university and I went to university. And I kept meeting Christians when I got up to Edinburgh and I felt like God was pursuing me. So it wasn't till I was, I think, 21. I sat, I can remember in my room at the Halls of Residence, I sat on my bed and I said, okay, God, if you exist and you want me to follow you, show me. So I got the Bible and did what I say to people is always a very dangerous thing to do. I saw where it fell open. (laughs) And there was the parable of the sower. And I thought, "Mm, yeah, a lot of seeds have been sown in my life, hasn't it? Mm, I wonder what sort of ground I'm going to be. So I was mulling on that and said, okay, Lord, show me another passage. So I opened it again and it was another gospel. And it fell open at the parable of the sower again. And I thought, oh, 
okay, <laughs> I think maybe God's saying something to me here. And it was that decision thinking, I'm going to try and be good soil. Um, so it was a long process and other people doing it. But I, I needed to do it in my own time. And I needed that kind of encounter with God that made me, in a way, realize that what has been going on in my life for a long time. Uh, when I look back, I think I've been on this journey for a long time and God's been very patient with me. But now we've got to the point where I have to make that decision for myself. So I was 21 and I had been going to church, uh, but I eventually moved to a Baptist church um, where lots of students were going. You know, as you do as a student, you go to where the other students are going. And that was um, Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh and felt convicted I needed to get baptized as a kind of point of confession. And so I did. And as I went down into the water and came up again, the minister was holding out his hand to help me out the water. And it was like Jesus was there holding out his hand to bring me. And it was amazing because one of my flatmates was there. And because of what she saw that day, she came to faith. And so God was obviously really at work. And that must have been in my third or you do four year degrees in Scotland can't remember now if it was my third year or my fourth year um so it was really from there it booted my faith and I I was happy to hold up my hand and say yeah actually it's a beautiful story it's a fantastic story but Mm. also uh, we mentioned this before we started the podcast Mm. isn't it amazing the way God yeah works in everybody's life in a different way it's such an encouragement to see someone who's brought up in a church background Mm. knows of God Mm. but even after that, Jesus just steps forward and changes your relationship. Yeah, yeah. You have people that have had a conversion moment of bang. Yeah. You have people that have just always known Jesus. Mm. You know, mm. They've always just felt that relationship. It's so fantastic. It's such an encouragement to people that yeah. there are so many different ways but that it, God encounters you. But it also makes me smile. And makes and Sometimes it makes me laugh out loud when I think, you know, just me bumping into somebody on the Isle of Man, writing letters. And then, you know, daft letters and my sharing them with a friend and her, both of us enjoying the letters, you know, that shared experience. And actually God was working through letters written, written on the inside of a paper bag and all sorts of stuff. And actually Jackie ended up, my friend ended up at the university where Steve was. And so she got, eventually got to meet him and she saw f- far more of him than I did around uh, Cardiff. Um, but it's, it's fascinating how God brings these other people into your lives and they just touch your life in some way and, and it blossoms in all sorts of directions you just can't predict. And uh, that's amazing to see. And actually, I say, it just, sometimes it just makes me laugh at the way God does these things. And that early sort of adulthood, adulthood period as well, I think, yeah. is fascinating. And we've seen that a few times with people like John, um, John Hibbard, Sally Myers, uh, mm-hmm. stepping how whether it's at university or not, sort of late yeah. teens, early 20s, it's almost yeah. like coming to faith anew in some ways in some yes. cases because yes. you're discerning it more, you're facing those questions more, yeah. and that's fascinating to talk about. Yeah, and other people who have been brought up in the faith sometimes go from the faith at that stage, and that's, you know, when you work with young people, that's always really difficult to see and hard to see. But yes, it's also a time when... When I did student ministry at a church and I ran student Bible study groups, you saw these young people growing in a year as a group and seeing what happened with them. And I can think about that very first Bible study group I was running at a church. And 
I'm still in touch with at least three or four of them. And one of them now is um, a vicar. One of them works in full-time Christian ministry for a parachurch organization. And you look around and you just think, gosh, that's amazing to see how these young people, and you watching them grow and seeing where God takes them for that. And you just think, wow, how, how, what a privilege to be part of that process. And refreshingly, you're showing once again that science and religion aren't incompatible. Which we've oh, no. Many times on this podcast. No, not at all. I mean, for me, it was through part of my faith journey was actually through studying physiology and seeing how the body worked and just like, this is extraordinary. And um, just knowing that, you know, you're hearing all things about evolution and I, I have not a problem with God using a process to do things, but I kept coming back to the fact that this is so amazing. For me, it just reinforces that somewhere behind this process, there is a divine intervention. Um, and it convicted me rather than drove me the other way. Uh, for me, it was the people who did arts and philosophy that it was more difficult. Scientists often don't have problems. Um, and uh, I've met so many scientists who are people of faith. Um, I think it's a, a myth that you can't be a scientist and a, a person of faith. I think it's not difficult at all. No, that's great. I'd love to, if we can, just jump to All Souls, yeah. Langham Place. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about you getting there and your time <laughs> there, because that's quite a, a, for those of us in the know, I don't expect a lot of people, it's quite a, a, it's got an extraordinary history, it's got an extraordinary tradition of, yeah. of and also very close to the, one of the cultural centres of the UK and the BBC mm. broadcasts have happened mm. there. So tell us a bit of your time there, how you got there and, and some of the experiences you had there. Yeah, it was an absolutely extraordinary place to work. Um, I would just say it was happenstance, but obviously it was God. I was coming, to, I'd worked for three years for UCCF and I had reached a point where I thought, I don't think I can work much longer. I think the travelling was very tiring and when you're a single person and you spend a lot of time going and troubleshooting to places. Um, and that's a university Christian fellowship? University and colleges Christian fellowship, yeah. I found it quite an exhausting job and I got to a stage where I'd hit burnout and I thought, I'm not sure I can continue this for much longer. So I was thinking, gosh, you know, what do I do next? I'm, I've never been a person who's had a plan. <laughs> People always say, what do you want to do in five years' time? I think, I have no idea. But... Um, Somebody had said to me, oh, I think they were advertising for a student worker at All Souls Langham Place. And I'd heard about All Souls because of the work of John Stott, who'd, who'd been a vicar there for many years, though he wasn't still vicar there when um, this happened. And I thought, well, you know, it can't harm. I can write to them. So I wrote and said, you know, are you still looking for a student worker? Because this was advertised quite a while ago. And they said, yes, we are. And funnily enough, the closing date is tomorrow, or it was one day or two days later, and I thought, oh my goodness. So they sent me the paperwork, filling in this form, because I was just about to go and do a mission. I'd be part of a mission team that was going into Oxford University. So I kind of filled it all in and sent it off to them. In fact, I was doing two missions uh, consecutively, but I was in Oxford. 
And I said to my flatmate, look, if a letter comes from All Souls, open it and tell me what it says. This is, for the listener, this is the days before email. Yes, <laughs> yes. It was, sorry, I'm that old. Um, yeah, days before email. So she opened the letter and said, you've got an interview, it's on this date. And I thought, well, I can't go, I'm in the middle of a mission up at St Andrews or wherever I was at that stage. So I wrote back to them and said, look, I can't come on that date because I'm in the middle of a mission, but I'm currently in Oxford. So they said, right, come, come on this date, come from Oxford. Right. Um, and uh, so I uh, thought, crikey, I haven't got any interview clothes. I haven't even got the details with me. And they want me to come on this day. So just come and have... Richard Buse was there. And Richard Buse was very laid back. And Richard said, just, just come and have some lunch with the team. So I went and had lunch with the team and met them and chatted. And this is before anybody else was interviewed. And um, Richard showed me around the church later on, just the two of us. And he said to me, he said... Um, I think we might offer you the job. And he said, I think you're going to say yes. And I just looked at him and thought, oh, my goodness. And I thought, I think I might. <laughs> now, obviously, that caused real ructions in the team after I'd gone because they hadn't interviewed anybody else. And Richard kind of half promised me a job. So I went back to Oxford. And then, sure enough, they offered me the job. And... Um, a girl from Southport, who as a child was afraid to read out loud in class, found herself on a Sunday in a pulpit leading services in front of a thousand people and thinking, how the heck did I get here? And it was just such a different culture. I'd gone from Southport to Glasgow to Scotland. And OK, that's a bit of a culture change. But going from the north and particularly to Scot from Scotland to London at that stage where Margaret Thatcher was in power, loads of yuppies. I felt I'd landed on another planet, absolutely on another planet. And the way the church worked, we had things like at the All Souls Orchestra and you'd be part of a prom praise and I could find myself hosting, you know, somebody from one of the, the local um, diplomatic people who were in the area. We'd have receptions for the diplomats in the church. You could find Cliff Richard in the vestry one Sunday. We had um, Paul from Manfred Mann was part of the congregation. David Sushi would turn up. And you just kind of think, how the heck did I get here? And this felt so unlike my culture at that stage. Um, it just amazed me that God took me there. Quite. Did frankly. you find that a welcoming place? Because it is a. It has it, it, always spoken to me of quite a high culture place and a quite an intellectual place with John Starr and mm. those names, but also a, a, a being close to the BBC of a sort of a liberal elite sort of place. Did you find that, or was it no. just a welcoming? That's great. No, you didn't know half of the jobs that people did. Um, I had no idea that one of the people in the, the congregation was a Viscount. I only found out by <laughs> saying something inappropriate <laughs> and then discovering. I shan't tell you to talk about that because it's not fair. But, um, or who the Viscount yeah. is. <laughs> yes, or who the Viscount is. That's the after hours episode. Yes. But it's just, you know, it was a place where you could meet anybody. I met the local, um, somebody who was just a Bobby in the Met. Um, through to Viscounts who you didn't know were Viscounts, people who had high-flying jobs in finance, people who were students, students from around the world. It was such a, a diverse place. And it just was wonderful because you thought all sorts of people come to faith. It isn't just one sort. Yeah, and um, it was it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And, of course, my role was particularly with students. Um, and I, I really enjoyed 
working with students, organizing Bible study groups and the cafe and the, the annual kind of away weekend and things with them and being anti-Christine. One of the things we've explored on the podcast, Christine, quite a lot is, again, because we've had such a broad range of guests from mm. a broad range of backgrounds, there's been quite a difference in terms of a sense of belonging for people. So some mm. have sort of been, for example, based in Yorkshire, all the lives, different pockets mm. of Yorkshire. Others like yourselves have moved around a lot. And I'm mm. just interested to know, because you had those extremes, so Southport to Scotland to mm. London mm. to Sheffield, did you always feel a belonging in each place? Did you ever feel homesick at all or did you feel I'm called somewhere else? Um, I felt homesick when I left Glasgow. The only time I've ever felt homesick was leaving Glasgow. Um, and I think that's because the culture shock I got from in London was so different. And also in Glasgow, in 20 minutes, I could be at Loch Lomond side in a car. 20 minutes in London, I was probably just at the, still on my street trying to get out, you know, the junction because I lived almost at the foot of the telecom tower in a, a church flat. Um, and it was just extraordinary going to London and living in the centre of the city because you kind of turn up and think, where do I buy my food? Do I have to go to Selfridges for my food? And it's only when you kind of explore the back, the back streets you find there's a little Tesco or something. Um, so just how you function in a city like that. And friends would come from Scotland to stay with me. And... Um, they could not get over how fast I walked on the streets. They had to run to keep up with me. So it felt such a different place. Um, and um, that was the time I felt like I least, that was least Christine shaped because it was culturally different. And I would crack jokes. I'd know who the northerners were in the congregation because they would laugh at my jokes. <laughs> Southerners were going, what, what? You know, and the difference in humour. In Scotland, you knew people accepted you when they were rude to you. You know, there was banter. Um, and uh, if you tried that down south, it didn't, didn't land quite so well. And it's just, you know, those sorts of things is working. Okay, how do I work here? Because the culture is different. And I'd gone from Scotland where Margaret Thatcher had introduced certain things that were very unpopular. Hmm. And then I'd come down to London where it was like, you know, um, the main place where all of that was happening. And that was, um, again, a very different feeling from being in Scotland where there was this very different feel political situation um, and the impact of that. Was there a pushback at all between thinking... I'd actually quite like to stay in Scotland, I'm settled here, I enjoy it here. And thinking, no, actually, I do have this calling, as tough as it is, to go further down south and explore things here. <laughs> God's really sneaky, you know. Because when I was thinking about not... There's the quote for the yeah, week. That's going to be on the header. He's very sneaky. Because when I was thinking about changing jobs... Uh, there were people at, I sp I'd spent three years saying to students, you know, you need to think whether God's calling you into missionary work overseas. Because at that stage, you know, it was the thing we did. We, we, we People went with mission organizations. And so I thought, crikey, I need to think about this. So you went to London? Uh, no. No, there was a possibility of going to Indonesia. Um, because somebody... There were people in my congregation who had been missionaries in working with OMF in the Far East. And they were saying things to me like, you know, really, um, we, so with, your, with your background, you could go and teach in a university there. So I thought, well, I've got to think about this. I've got to go and push a door. And then a friend of mine had been a missionary said, oh, I always thought you'd go and be a missionary. 
I later found out she was just joking. But, you know, it was just part of the mix. I thought, I have to go and push that door. So I went and talked to somebody from OMF. <laughs> they very wisely said to me, you don't really want to do this, do you? And I went, not really, no. And they said, it's fine. God may not be calling you to do this. And then you see, after Indonesia, London sounded great. Because <laughs> I'd always said to God, I'm never going to work in London. Um, and so, as I say, that's, that's God being sneaky. Indonesia, London. Oh, I think London sounds much better. And it is, it, sometimes it's just obedience. Because of the way things worked with that whole process I talked to you about before, I just thought, hmm, okay, I think this is where I'm being called. And so it was, not to make it sound too grand, it was an act of obedience because I felt called. And it's a jump into the unknown, isn't it? Because I think, mm. I always say with hindsight, if you'd known the next step was going to be X, Y, Z, you'd probably be a bit more philosophical about it. Mm. You don't know that course no. into that situation. No, you don't. It's, it's a stepping into the unknown. And actually, that's a pattern that's repeated in my life with with a lot of the jobs I've gone for. I mean, going to do be a principal at a, a theological college. I mean, for goodness sake, I was only, I was a lay woman. There weren't many people around who I could say, well, I like that. There was Christina Baxter, I think, in Nottingham. And I think she was the only one besides myself at that stage. Maybe not. Sally may have been doing her role um, in Lincoln at that stage. But there were very few of us. And I just thought, my goodness, they're not going to want me. But people kept saying to me, have you thought about this job? Um, and that, again, was a process where it wasn't straightforward. But... Again, when I walked in, I thought, oh, my goodness, I think I've got this job. And again, it was that that feeling called and that act of obedience. And I can remember somebody saying to me, hang on to that when it gets hard. And it did get hard. And you have to hang on to that and think, God has called me here. But coming to this, this diocese, I got to a point where I thought, Lord, you need to either call me to stay or call me on to the next thing. Because I was getting to that age, I thought I either stay here till I retire or start something new. And that's when the job in the diocese came. And I thought, oh, that was something I felt I could get involved in. And coming back to Sheffield, because I was living in Huddersfield then to be closer to where the auction ministry course was. And coming back to Sheffield and working with people and in a situation, because I've been involved with school and ministry when I worked for Church Army. And so it made sense in lots of ways to apply for that job and to see what happened. And it's been to our benefit here in the diocese that you came here. Well, <laughs> I hope so. But the thing for me that's been the greatest privilege is seeing people in the diocese now who I was involved in some way in their training. So you spoke earlier, Paul, about Kinder sending you messages on my phone. So Kinder was at Church Army. I was his yes. tutor. Mm-hmm. Um Kathy Green, who is a chaplain at uh, the Children's Hospital, before she was ordained, she was at Church Army. So there's people in the diocese who are as part of their training from Church Army. There are ordinance who are now vicars in, in the diocese here. And there are readers and lay people. And I look around and think, my goodness, when you see where people go, you think, wasn't I lucky to be involved in this? And what a privilege. Sorry, getting quite choked up. No, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. It's just... And they'll have felt privileged yeah. 
they were felt privileged too, Christine, I think. Yeah. Um, that impact, you know, from the impact you had in their lives and yeah. how you helped them along. And it's-, but it, it's so small. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You can just be there and say to people, you can do this. You can. But it's really just to take you back to that moment. Uh, you know, so being in church in the 80s, we used to sing songs, I will go anywhere you ask me. And there was very much a feeling that, that the ultimate Christian was a, as a missionary or a minister. Mm. And, you know, I was one of the people that pushed back against that and really saying, actually, I remember reading a book by an Australian called Jim Thwaites, who you may have heard or not, but he was pushing back at that and saying, actually, the, the ministry of work is as valid as any other ministry. Yeah. The fact of being working on a factory floor yeah. or being uh, in an office or being a nurse, yeah. these things are the mission of Christ as much yeah. as having a collar or being working for CMS or whatever. Absolutely. And that theological as, has, was, a, was a movement that changed mm. in the 80s mm. and 90s. And now we recognize that, you know, being, the, uh, being a director of Shell or, or, li- or being, uh, serving at Costa yeah. are absolutely at the heart of the mission of Christ. Absolutely. So one of the, my one of my frustrations about working for the church is I don't meet enough people outside of the church, and I, I spend my time investing in people in the church, but trying to encourage them to to be talking to people outside of the church and sharing time. And I think, you know, in the working environment, you build friendships in an easy way, and it just opens up those opportunities that I don't get because most of my time I'm encouraging and investing in. Or what I was in my role in in discipling people, but it absolutely is it's it's the harder choice I often think that people are in those situations, though Christian ministry is not easy, but um, absolutely it's so vital, and um, I when I see the train I was often training people who weren't going to be full time working for the church, and actually seeing them do both jobs. And thinking that's absolutely in many ways because if they were ordinance or ordained, what was happening in the workplace would feed into their preaching and which connect with the people in the pew. If there were lay people and readers, that would happen as well. So being able to understand our culture and people out there and their questions is absolutely vital. We can get so protected sometimes within the walls of the church that we absolutely need to value people who have just ordinary jobs. Um, again, I don't like using that word ordinary. No, every job is extraordinary. Yes, yes. yes. I agree. I yeah, but, but saying, yeah. yeah, it's not the right word. But to say people who are out there working is vital to the life of the church. And it isn't the easy option. And our churches should be praying and supporting for people in those roles and not putting others who've got labels on them on a pedestal. Yeah, because at the, at, you know there have been times I've talked to we had a presentation from some Centenary Project last night uh, at our own PCC talking about, you know, within a generation we've gone from a huge church attendance to a very low church attendance. Mm. We are strangers in a foreign land now. Absolutely. In a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. So actually, those people that are doing those extraordinary, ordinary jobs, if we put it like that, yeah. are the people that are doing the mission of Christ much yes. more than herds of people coming in mm. on a Sunday. That doesn't mm. happen anymore. No, it doesn't. So it is down to laity like the sound mm. like every day mm. to share the love of Christ and God across the diocese and across the mm. world, isn't it? Mm. But I can also remember um, people who once they were ordained saying to me, I can't go into this, the supermarket any longer with my collar on 
because people stop and talk to me and they weren't people necessarily they knew so there's also those opportunities outside of church um for people who have got something that distinguishes them as ministers in the church but it is also us getting out there sometimes i say it's too easy to too safe to stay within the walls of the church uh, and just work inside the church and i tell myself that i'm now no longer working it's giving me more opportunities to do things outside of church just gradually thinking right where might i serve my community that i don't go in with a label coming from the church i just go in as christine where can i do that and actually meet people and listen to people and maybe even have chances to chat to people Christine, I might be misremembering this. I can't remember from, from when you were here, but... Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I've dreamt it. I'm not sure. But, uh, oh, dear. Did you, in terms of your teaching and um, the way you do, did you have a connection with Reverend Kate Botley? Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, becoming a vocations advisor shortly. It's not the first time. When I was at Church Army, I was on the team when John Thompson was in the role that I filled here. And um, one of the people that came to chat with me to explore their calling was somebody called Kate Botley. And um, I suggested that maybe it would be appropriate for her to explore ordination. So, you know, Kate got that encouragement, if you like, to go to that next step. And funnily enough, my church in Grenadine, her mum was there when I turned up. So her mum was there for many years before she died recently. So the connections with the, well, my mum wasn't a botley that's kate's married name but yeah um i was there at the beginning i take no responsibility for what kate has done since i last saw her <laughs> i want to use the term origin story again there but, um, <laughs> no but kate's another i mean i know she's very sort of prominent in the media now but i think mm. she's an interesting um advocate and sort of witness almost in terms of what she did mm. there's perhaps another audience for people who yeah. aren't as familiar with church um can see what she does and perhaps Ask those questions again about faith. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So at the moment then, you, as you say, you've stepped aside from... The bio is extraordinary. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's, a, there's some gear changes in here, as we've already spoken from, from a young, young lady, young girl from Glasgow to London, back mm-hmm. to here, growth, mm-hmm. more degrees than you can shake a stick. <laughs> you've had a little time to, to, to sort of step back from that. Mm. But you're obviously involved in your local church. Tell us a bit about the stuff that you do mm. there, or have you had a period of just just being, almost? Well, um, the bishop said to me when I left, leave it six months before you come back to me, because I had wanted to be, a, be able to preach in my church. Um, but I didn't necessarily feel I wanted to go through reader ministry training, having just trained people for reader ministry. But the bishop was happy to license me as a as a lay minister, so I'm not a, a lay reader, and I'm not, you know, I don't have a, a particular label. I'm a lay minister in my church, which means I can preach. You are canon doctor after all. Well, yes, I'm canon doctor, but uh, just remember the doctor has nothing to do with theology, and the canon is emeritus and uh, <laughs> um, not something I've earned, but something I was given. But um, because they're also in me. I love, as well as encouraging, being, encouraging people in their walk with God. There's a teacher and a communicator. And um, being able, to, and because of having studied the Bible, I really enjoy digging into the Bible and finding out more about Scripture. And it nourishes my soul. And often God speaks to me and challenges me as I'm doing that. So <clears throat> being able to 
to do the preaching in my church. I've done that. I was it's nearly a year since I had my license. Um, being able to do that, but I've spent another year just trying to work out what might be the next step. And as you heard me say earlier, having had the privilege of going to Jerusalem in the summer and being around those ordinands and finding that God was still using me and encouraging people, thinking, I think I need to think about vocations advising. This isn't me trying to go back to the job or not letting go of the job. This is about something about being Christina and being Christine with God, um, which sounds a bit grand, but, you know, it, it was that sort of revelation to me. I thought, this is just who I am. It's a bit like when I knew I just needed to teach. There's something within you that just goes, yes. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be doing that shortly when the right person comes along for me to journey alongside and after I've done my training uh, with with Dan um, and the other thing that came up I one thing I people kept saying to me when I was retiring what are you going to do when you retire Christine mm-hmm. I was thinking it's again it's like with my life life plan or lack of life plan I thought I'm no clue I said one of what I'm not going to do is work I can tell you that for sure but one of the things I I really wanted to do was to go into local primary school and hear the kids read yeah. And every time I tried to push that door, it, sh- it would not budge. But I think that door might be opening, so I'm hoping I might be able to get into the local primary school and, and serve the community in that way. Because I like little people. I've worked with, you know, I've worked with big people for a long time, but I do like little people. And I've always liked reading with and reading to my nephews and nieces and their children. So that looks like that might open up. But it's, te- you know, it's taken a long time pushing a door and waiting and thinking, why is this not happening? And is this God shutting the door? And because it felt like that door was shut, we had someone come to church to talk about an organization called, charity called Safe Families, which is a Christian um, charity who um, match people up uh, with families who are struggling who've maybe been referred from schools or social services. And it, it again, it could be spending time with a child, um, doing crafts with them, taking them out for a walk, or just giving them a break or some attention while parents may be struggling with other things. Uh, so I've done all my training for that, and I'm waiting to see if there may be a suitable family to link me up with. Um, but it's taken a year and a half to get to that point. And... The big questions when, particularly I think when you're a single person, maybe not just being a single person, but I think it, for me as a single person, all my life my t- my labels have been about work. I've not been wife, I've not been mum, I've not been grandma. So lots of retired people have all of that. They have a partner to do things with. They have family that they, you know, they pick up the grandchildren, they do babysitting duties and all of that. And you kind of think, who am I when I no longer have this role? Who am I? Because I have no longer got that label. I've no longer got that position. And that actually is a huge psychological change and a heart change and a a liminal space that God takes you into, which is scary. But that liminal space, as Richard Raw says, says is, is a sacred space because you only have God to turn to in those those places where you are no longer there and you don't know what yet is coming. And for me, 
It's been that, who am I without that? What do I get my fulfillment and purpose from? Because you can fill your time. But you know, housework doesn't really do it for me. The house is clean, honest. But you know, I can fill my time doing those sorts of things. But the preaching actually gives me that deep sense of satisfaction of digging into things and preparing things well. That's helps the teacher in me and nurture that gifting. Um, but it is, it's working that through and it takes time. It takes time to make sure you're not being drawn back to how, what you knew, but being able to move on. And I've had a prayer that has been praying that I would trust God as he takes me into the future and to believe that God would do that. Um, and even though that's a struggle, that God would open up the doors for me. Because I've found in my life that when I try and do the imagining, I can only imagine as far as my imagination goes. But actually when God does the imagining, things like the job at All Souls opens up and things like the job at Yorkshire Ministry Course opens up and other things open up that I just had n would never have thought about or could never have believed that I would be the right person for. And God has surprised me and beckoned me in and said, come on, come with me into this. And I've sometimes gone kicking and screening, but actually to go in with that, I think I'm being called and I need to do this. Um, yeah. Christine. Both of you. Both of you. Both of you. Yeah. It's been fantastic to, to hear you speak, Christine. Um, the impact you've had on many people's lives has been palpable not just in this conversation with the work you've done the diocese. So it's been really illuminating to get to know to know you a bit more. Um, and we miss you here in Church House, so it is lovely to have I you back here I miss being today. here. You're always welcome to come. <laughs> I don't visit. miss the work. I miss the people. <laughs> you should come in every day. We have to have you in. Yeah, you find jobs for me to do, though, wouldn't you? Just wander around talking to people. <laughs> Uh, this is where we throw in some some questions. I'm not going to pinch Paul's question. Yeah, um, well, we've already talked about the books is obviously a thing. So I, I am always the person that asks what are you reading at the moment? And that can be both the heavy tome, as I always say, the theological tome, or what do you read for pleasure? For you know, yeah. and I'm not saying it's not for pleasure, but you know, you're on an airplane, what are you going to read? You know, mm. we've had a number of people go for the Jack Reacher moment, which is just that. Mm. But what are you reading at the moment that you might want to share with our with our audience? One of the good things about not working is I've done quite a bit of reading. Yeah, great. Um, and I have a friend who's in, um, or two friends uh, who are in reading groups, and so they pass their books on yeah, to yeah. me. So I read um, a few months ago, it is now, Lessons in Chemistry. Oh, yes, that's on my pile. Yes, there's, yes. A, there's a, on one of the subscription services, they've yeah, just done the a drama. Apple or something. Apple yeah, or yeah. one of those other. Yeah. Those of us on Freeview don't get to see these things. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought you might be binging on it. <laughs> but uh, yes, I read that one and I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was a, I didn't know what to expect. And it was one of these books, everybody's going, oh, As Amazon kept sending me saying, yes. you might like yes, this yes, book. And I'm thinking, so, yes. no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but when a friend lent it to me and said, it's really good. And I've also got a pile of other books that she's lent me to do that. But actually, I don't, I haven't as yet started doing a lot of theological reading. I bought, I had so many books, and Ben will probably tell you that the wall in my office when I was here, one wall was all books, and going through and getting rid of some of them, donating them to the Resource Centre and uh, other places, but I took a load of them home, and I have a lot of books that I want to read at some stage. But actually, I haven't felt like I wanted to do it. Um, I think when you stop work, you're pretty exhausted, and you just need stuff that will 
Yeah, we'll like meet that need. Almost, yeah. yeah, and um, I love story. So for me, I'm not a great one for reading um, autobiographies or that sort of thing. I read novels that are stories, and I love a good story. Love a historical novel, love a murder mystery and a thriller. Um, and I have read quite a few of those recently. I'm, um, I'm trying to think what the next book is I've got on my Kindle. But I've got to say, I've got a pile of books of Circe, is it called? Anyway, I have oh, a few yes. books. Um, by Madeline Miller. I yes, think. I've yes, got I've that. that. Um, I've got that on the pile to read next. Yeah, um, I've just read A Murder Mystery, which somebody recommended to me about a Canadian policeman, um, Inspector Gamache, if anybody knows those, by Louise Penny. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yes. um, so I like a variety of things. Um, my wife's a massive Anne Tyler fan. And I, oh, I haven't I, read her. Oh, yeah, I think that might be out of your strata, mm, actually. So, mm, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link. Yeah. Is that carrying on into sort of film and television as well, those sort of genres? Yeah, yeah. No, actually, I watch a lot of documentaries on television. Um, that's how I get information. Beckham, you mentioned earlier on that you were watching Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's probably not on Freeview anyway. Uh, but I do like do- uh, documentaries. I like docudramas. I've just watched The Post Office and Mr. Bates. Well, uh, Mr. What Bates, a, what the effect post- that had on the yeah. psyche. Yes. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly politicians are interested yeah. in a story that might have yeah. been in people's living rooms. What a surprise yeah. to us all. Yeah, it's only taken them 20 years to catch on. But anyway. So, sorry, moving on rapidly. No, no, we're um, no political at this point quite often. I love watching archaeological programs on television. I watch history programs. I absorb a lot. That's one of the, my learning styles. I'm a visual learner. I learn more from television than I do from reading. Um, but I like a book that just draws me in into a story and I get wrapped up in the story. If you were to say to me what would be my Desert Island book, it probably would be unsurprisingly Lord of the Rings because I got oh, wow. so wrapped up in that story. Yeah, I read that. Uh, well, yeah. I read that when was as... the last time you read it? Um, well, I read it when I was at university, but I got... I made illicit tapes of the BBC production... Um, when it, they did it many years ago. And I think I was probably a PhD when they put it out. And I recorded those. And there was a time when I was writing my Christmas cards, I would play all 13 tapes, all 13 episodes of Lord of the Rings and listen to it. And I just loved that. I mean, it was on the radio, it was something else. Um, films haven't enjoyed as much, but the book, I felt I made friends. And as I was listening to, uh, when I was reading the book, One Easter at, at Home, I was playing Genesis Trick of the Tale and the music for that became the soundtrack for Lord of the Rings and there were various things in that. So that album and that book together just generate it. That's the first for the Trick of the Tale to be mentioned. One, yes. of, my, my, yeah. one of my first albums I ever bought I had the yeah. Gatefold album of that. Yeah. So, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> still got mine. <laughs> yeah, worth a bit of money now. Ooh, and what else are you listening to at the moment? Do you still listen to music? Uh, oh, yes, I'm in a choir. And uh, I have to, <laughs> I listen to a lot of choir MP3s to learn songs because the choir likes us to be off music. And we do a whole variety of different uh, music styles. I'm in a, a choir called Vivacity, which is a community choir. So you don't have to be, uh, have a, um, an interview to be part of it. And you don't have to read music, which is fine. Because I, again, learn by ear and visual rather than reading the music. But uh, I listen to a variety of things through that. Um, my, I would ha- have a very varied musical taste, everything from um, classical through to pop. Um, 
I like uh, the song by Ray at the moment. I think she's fantastic. She? Yeah. I think I should listen to Royal Yeah, Hall I must song, catch yeah. up on that. But yeah, I listen to um, I'm a Radio 2 girl, as you might expect. <laughs> I'd rather listen to music in the morning than listen to Radio 4. Um, so I like I like pop. Um, at university, as you probably would have guessed, I was in, well, if you call Genesis prog rock. But as a teenager, I worked at WH Smith in Southport on the record department. And I got 25% discount. And so I would play albums, of course, for the shop, just to hear, yeah. to encourage people to buy. And I'd play all the albums I like, and then I'd buy them at 25% discount and go home with them. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great deal. Didn't go home with much money, but went home with a lot of albums in the 70s. Um, so I have a lot of stuff like that. and still like that, as anybody does. Te- music's when you're a teenager, stays with you. Um, and But since then, you know, I like folk. Um, I like some rock, but pop, um, classical. And my Desert Island track would probably be Lark Ascending by Vaughan Williams. Because I just love that. It conjures up so much in your imagination as you listen to it. Um, I used to play it a lot at work when I just needed something to to kind of soothe the savage beast. (laughs) But that didn't distract me with words, so I'd put that on and listen to that. Christine, it's been fantastic to talk to you, listen to you. It's been a privilege, and thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest and being so frank and open about your walk and mm. and things that have happened in your life so thank you so much you're very welcome it's been a um, pleasure as we always say words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org is our email what were we talking about else that we needed to put out there just to remind people just to rate us as well oh yeah but a rating see how we're doing uh, it's out of five so yeah. if you want to go, go on to the pool spotify or other where However you listen, your, yeah. yeah. I didn't know I was going to be marked. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, as a whole, no, no. quality of the presenters. Oh, good. Yeah, yes. it's, we're we're being judged, yeah. yeah. Payback for all the essays yeah, I marked. It's great to hear from people, good or bad, and it's really good when you find out people are listening to us. But, um, yeah, rate us on Spotify or whatever. And, um, um, so, Ben, it's really good to see you. Thank you, Christine, for being with us. You're welcome. And um, we'll see you again soon. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.